really got turned on by the people I met in Silicon Valley, the entrepreneurs and, and the, the scientists and the engineers. They were they were really interesting people. And it was a lot more fun calling on them and talking about their business than going to Chevron and talking to the treasurer about his next bond deal. Sanford Sandy Robertson of Francisco Partners is a legend of Silicon Valley. With more than half a century of investing at the cutting edge of technology, he's also a co-investor with ANZ in New Zealand fintech Ada. He speaks with Blue Notes managing editor Andrew Cornell about his remarkable experiences and what he looks for in startups. Thank you very much for speaking with ANZ Blue Notes, uh, Sandy. You're you're in the Bay Area in the US. How has COVID-19 affected the way that you're working? There's two ways that I'm working. Uh, One uh, with my fund, which is a private equity fund, and we've done that all virtually um, for the last, uh, really since about the end of March, and uh, it's all working just beautifully. Uh, As a matter of fact, I can't believe how well it's it's working. Uh, And we've done due diligence on companies and sold companies and uh, uh, been as active as ever. And the other one uh, that I'm very involved is Salesforce, where I'm lead director. And last quarter, we had a blowout quarter. Uh, everyone, I thought going into the quarter, we'd be lucky to have a zero growth, just equal a prior year, but we were up over 20%. So uh, it, it didn't help at all. And then things like uh, the um, travel expenses, went down from 125 million to 5 million and you find out that business could be done just as well without without that it is extraordinary do you think then you know when this covid virus winds through whether it's a vaccine or we learn to live with it do you think the ways that you work and your colleagues work will permanently change i think it definitely will uh, people are getting used to this uh, some percentage of people will stay home There'll be some pe- uh, percentage of people who stay home four days a week and come in one or once every two weeks. There has to be some interaction with coll- colleagues uh, uh, over the time, but I, you know, I haven't been face to face with with anybody for months. Mm. It still works. The Zoom, you you get the feelings of the expressions of people, and uh, it, it it's work it's working beautifully. Uh, but I think uh, as the COVID's over. We will come back. I think there's good. I would hate to be in the real estate business for uh, large office buildings because I think they're going to be uh, uh, a lot less occupied than they were before the COVID. And we've seen lots of evidence and lots of data to suggest that digital trends, for example, which had already been accelerating, whether it was in financial services or elsewhere, there's been almost 10 years of growth in, in the space of six months or so. Is that a perspective that you've seen? Absolutely. Um, the the whole the world has changed in that regard. I, we have seen it dramatically. You've had an extraordinary career. I'm not sure whether I should reveal uh, how old you are, but um, you start... <laughs> okay. so I'm you're, proud of it. <laughs> you're, you're 87 years old. I I, I uh, Remember, I was reading some um, interviews that you've given. You said you have absolutely no plans to retire, and you don't really you don't want to play golf or anything in your 
keen to keep I, doing. I this. really don't. I, to me, business is a lot more fun than playing golf. <laughs> well, you would have started then. You came through um, uh, Smith Barney or a predecessor firm. You're in. There was some military involvement, right. but really. The late 60s, early 70s, you moved into venture capital to start with. Is that right? Well, I uh, I, I was in Chicago for Smith Barney, which was my home originally. And I was assistant manager of the office. And overnight, they fired the partner in, uh, in San Francisco. And so on four hours notice, I came to the West Coast to take over the Smith Barney office. And... Um, my predecessor uh, really hadn't paid much attention to the technology world. And Smith Barney said, oh, go call on the forest products companies, call on Bank of America, call on Wells Fargo, uh, call on Chevron, uh, uh, let's go after the big companies. And I said, no, the, the economic base of this city is moving south to Silicon Valley. And there are these companies like Hewlett-Packard and Varian and Ampex that are leading the way in, in growing this economy. And I could not get uh, Smith Barney, uh, this was 65 through 70, I couldn't get them really interested in, in technology. I got a couple deals done. We, uh, we had a couple mergers and we had one or two IPOs, but it was like pulling teeth. And I would have to fly back to New York and sell the idea to the investment committee uh, to take a company public. So um, I decided to start my own firm in 1970. And it, it was very, very slow then, but it, it was the right move to do. And were you, obviously, uh, on the East Coast, there wasn't the appreciation that Silicon Valley and, and technology was going to have the role that it did in the future. But yeah. what was it about it at the time? Was it the atmosphere where you were? Was it the people you were talking to? Was it just the ideas that made you think, no, this is where we need to be? Well, um, I, I really got turned on by the people I met in Silicon Valley, the entrepreneurs and, and the, the scientists and the engineers. They were they were really interesting people. And it was a lot more fun calling on them and talking about their business than going to Chevron and talking to the treasurer about his next bond deal. And also I thought we were, we were new in this area where the other major investment banks had done a good job of, of having those large companies as clients. So it was it was a matter of finding the right market and I could see that this market was 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 really uh, really tough. What maybe set me over the line was we did a private placement for a company called Spectrophysics. It had seventy percent of the world's laser market. And this was before lasers were being used by barcode for barcodes and checking out of the supermarket and and uh, uh, they were looking for uses for it. But it, it, the company was a marvelous company. It had the Nobel laureate who, had, who won the Nobel Prize for the laser on the board. And I did, I did a private placement for them, and I got the firm to take $100,000 worth, which might be like a $2 million investment today. And I'd go back to New York for a partner's meeting, and my partners would uh, – Point, use their finger like pointing a gun at me and say, hey, is how, how's our ray gun company doing? And I thought, uh-oh, I'm never going to teach these guys. Yeah. So I better 
do it myself. So I took took my two best people with me, and we opened our own store and and owned an investment bank and got going. So. And who were you? Who were your your funders, your backers at that very early stage? Was it other people who came from traditional investment banking or, or private funds? Well, each each of the uh, three of us put up a hundred thousand dollars. Three founders, and then we had eight venture capitalists who were in town that put up a hundred thousand dollars each. And so we we wanted them for their expertise, but also to look at their portfolio of companies. And um, they had very small funds. They were five, three to five million dollar venture funds. Now we're talking billions for venture funds, but uh, but they liked our idea and uh, they were terrific early backers for us. I was reading in one of the interviews you were talking about the, the leap to going from funding established companies with cash flows and, and track records to uh, biotechs and technology companies where you sort of fund in an idea. Has, mm-hmm. has those, those principles are obviously still there, when, whether it's fintechs or biotechs, it's the future you're investing in. Mm-hmm. Have the principles of your investment decisions changed? Are you, are you still looking for interesting people who have a great story to tell? or do you, What are your investment disciplines? No, nothing, nothing much has changed uh, from that. You, you always look at the people involved what their backgrounds are, and if they've done it before, of course, it's almost automatic that you you finance them again. But uh, I always facetiously say that venture capital is a, a one-question one decision, and that's pick the right person, because the right person has the right idea, he has the right leadership, he has the right people around him, and... Uh, he has the ability to attract further people as they grow, and that, that's a little bit uh, oversimplified. But mm. it's really the people that make these things go, go at the beginning, because they they're the ones that also have the best ideas. And that hasn't changed; has not changed at all in 50 years. So when you when you look at the 50 years that you've been in Silicon Valley in the in the Bay Area, those principles haven't changed, but obviously that the scale and the importance of the the industries and the companies that have come out of there have changed astronomically have you have you been surprised uh, by how it's come to dominate really the business world and our lives you know when you know we're doing this phone call now over technology that even five or ten years ago you would have thought was magic well i i was fascinated by the business i always thought it would grow uh, now it's the most important part of the U.S. economy. Uh, there's two things that we do better than the rest of the world, and one of them is grow food and large farms, and the other one is uh, is technology. And we're being challenged a lot by the rest of the world uh, in our technology, but we're still still ahead and still a, a huge factor in it. And I think I sense that. And what has changed, though, is so much more money going into technology and biotechnology than there was before. Um, and the dollars have changed. In, in the 70s, uh, a company would start usually with, well, the venture capital firms who were three to five million dollars. That, that was, they couldn't raise any more money than that. So they would only put a, about $500,000 uh, uh, each into each investment. 
because they needed diversification. And so a startup would get $1 million, typically from two venture firms, each putting in 500000 And if they didn't get the cash flow positive or very close to it by the end of that million-dollar expenditure, it'd be a washout financing at a lower price, or, or they'd let the company go. And uh, so now uh, some venture funds go out for a billion, a billion dollars a piece uh, at new funding. And it's not unusual to have a new startup uh, get $20 million or $30 million at the first day they open their door. Uh, that The higher numbers are people who have done it before, who have a great, or have a great record at a larger company, or they're a scientist that has the right idea for a biotech. But the, the world has changed in the numbers of people and the number of dollars, and it's continued to fuel the growth of technology in the U.S. economy. Yeah, I mean, we've obviously had the, the, the biggest um, boom bust was the dot-com uh, collapse at the turn of the century, right. but there's been others. Uh-huh. When, you, when you look at these numbers, do you, how do you tell whether, okay, they've gone too far, there's too much froth in this market now, you know, we need to step back? Well... I thought it was pretty obvious. Um, I, I was interviewed in about um, the fall of 99 uh, by a national magazine, so I've got this to write again. I said these things are way, way too expensive. They're, they put .com on the end of a name, and it, it gets public at a you know $50 million valuation. And so I wasn't... I said, I think these stocks are going to sell at the square root of their their initial offering price. But I was nine months too early. It went it went uh, another almost another year before the world got. It was a it was a classic Holland Tulip boom, mm. uh, or or nineteen twenty nine all over again. Yeah, we we may be getting a little bit um, toward that now. The, the the public market is focusing so much on the FANG stocks, but you know Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and, and, and Google, um, that uh, the whole focus is on those few stocks. And it's if you take them out of the averages, the S and P and the Dow, uh, the old iron-bending manufacturing companies have not done well at all, or even the service companies. And so there's too much money going to too few numbers of, of these larger technology stocks. But on the other hand, that has provided an, an umbrella of value over the startups. And the startups are getting pretty expensive because of that. But at least they're getting started. There's plenty of money to start them. Which neatly brings us to you know, what the reason that you've given us the opportunity to talk to you is that you're an early investor in Ada and New Zealand, an Auckland-based um, fintech that provides you know, uh, real-time intelligence for small and medium-sized businesses. And mm-hmm. ANZ, ANZI, the investment arm, has taken an investment in Ada and uh, in Brendan Roberts. So... Right. This is a business that, that tailors very nicely with ANZ's strategic direction with small and medium-sized businesses. But from your perspective, you're not a bank, obviously. There's no direct linkage there to your business, but it's clearly the kind of investment that you do. 
was it Brendan Roberts that attracted you? What attracted you to Ada? Well, uh, I have a friend in, in the United States, Mark Bregman, uh, who is a, has a PhD, ran IBM Japan at one point. Uh, he ran Symantec. Um, very, very bright guy. And I've known him and his family for, for years. And he told me, he said, you know, I'm, I'm looking at investments in New Zealand and I'm finding some really interesting things down there. And so I am an investor in Quidnet Ventures, his venture fund. And uh, this is the first uh, investment I did outside the fund with him. And I, I found it, I, I trusted his judgment. I hadn't met uh, Brendan Roberts directly, but I like, very much like investments in the cloud. And I thought, this is, this is really a great idea. And uh, the valuation was not very expensive. And uh, I thought, gee, this would, this would be a nice shot. And I, and I didn't mind uh, investing overseas, too. It's nice to get some diversification out of, out of the United States. Do you do much divesting, uh, investing overseas? Um, you know, New Zealand, you say it sort of sparked your attention. But... Uh, I've done some in, uh, in London, um, some in India, uh, not much. Um, I'm, I'm an advisor to a, a, a private equity fund in Tokyo that uh, tends to buy divisions of the, of the big five companies there and, and, and spins them out and, and improves them. Um, I, I like to diversify around the world if, if possible. And I thought the New Zealand, it's an enclosed market. It's a great way to start a company and see if it works and then expand it to other, other places. And it, it's a, a fintech, and fintech obviously is a sector within venture capital. <clears throat> is one that's really exploded. Uh, have you done a lot in the fintech space? I haven't. Uh, personally, I'm an investor in a financial technology fund in the United States. It, it kind of followed it that way for me. But... Um, I, I'm also associated with Francisco Partners. I started it 20 years ago. Um, our, our leverage buyout fund, our private equity fund, and we've done quite a bit in the uh, in the payments area. We're not doing venture there, but we're doing some fairly early stage things, and um, we've been very involved in the, in the payments segment in, in that fund. Which is now we just raised 10 billion for that for that fund. Uh, and there is, um, and the competition regulator in Australia has just made this point, but it's one that's been made quite broadly around the world, particularly in light of what um, Facebook and Google have done in, in recent years. Is there an issue with major companies taking out these startups or investing in these startups, not so much to encourage greater competition and innovation, but more to keep the competition constrained? Do you, do you have a view on that? I don't think it's constrained uh, competition at all. Um, I think uh, the United States Justice Department is starting to think that way. But um, uh, for instance, uh, I'm lead director of Salesforce and on their M&A committee. And we have a venture fund there that probably has I don't 
know, 50, 50 investments now. And uh, we're, we're, those are companies we're, we're looking at. And maybe 10 or 15% of them, as they grow, we will want to buy. And others um, give us just a look at the marketplace. They either don't make it or they're, they diverge away from the cloud or away from our uh, strategy. But the idea is to have a look and be ready to buy them if you can. But it's not for anti-competitive purposes. It's just for expansion of business purposes. Mm-hmm. And with with Aiden, now that you're you're an investor, a significant investor in there, how do you how do you manage that that day to day investment? Do you look to have you know more frequent conversations with Brendan and his team, for example, or do you sort of watch from a distance and occasionally fire in questions? How how does the process work now that you're in there? More more of the latter, because um, and because of the location, um, but. Um, I think very highly of Mark Bregman in Quidnet, and uh, he's in very close touch with uh, with Brendan, and so I, I rely on him. But I have talked to Brendan a couple times, and I've, I've never met him in person. But I, I, he has seems to have the right answers when when I'm talking to him from afar. But I really rely more on Mark in this case. That's reassuring for uh, ANZI too, given that we're now fellow investor with you. Well, I, I'm delighted you guys are coming in. I think it makes a lot of sense for you as you're expanding your uh, small business mm. practices. Yeah. Well, so, thanks, Sandy, for your, your time. I mean, it's been an absolutely fascinating uh, conversation. You know, we obviously the the next, you know, maybe eighteen months or so will be still COVID dominated, but if we can look sort of through that, what are you expecting to see in in VC in um, in the kind of innovation areas that you're interested in? And do you see different kinds of evolution changes? You know, more rapid innovation. You know, the the pandemic hasn't slowed anything down. It's it's amazing that it hasn't slowed anything down. Um, it's probably accelerated a lot of things in the biotech area. Not only just the uh, looking for a vaccine, but it seems to people seem to be more interested in health. But um, I, I think this COVID is going to be with us for longer than we expect. I, I don't think business will be back as we know it, it, it uh, until until 22. Uh, so next year is going to be a tough year. Mm. But uh, but venture capital investment uh, seems to be alive and well and staying at pretty much the same rate that it was in the past. Um, so I, I, it's amazing, as we talked about before, how much can get done uh, remotely, but it's, it's happening and I think it'll continue to happen. Well, you're clearly busy at the moment and hopefully then you continue to be busy and continue to stay off the golf course because you've uh, got too much to interest you elsewhere. But thanks thanks very much for your time. It's been a fascinating conversation, so thanks for that. Well, I'm delighted and let's hope we have a very successful investment together. Yes, yes, indeed. Thank you for listening to Blue Notes. This podcast was produced by the Blue Notes editorial team with music by Kevin McLeod. Blue Notes is a publication of ANZ Banking Group.